0: Welcome to Gin Spired, brought to you by the TheGinShop.ca. This podcast will take you on a journey into the world of gin, where you'll experience this versatile spirit in ways you never thought possible. Now the host of Gin Spired, Heather E. Wilson. Hello and welcome to Gin Inspired, where we talk about and celebrate everything about the wonderful Juniper Lay spirit called gin. I'm your host, Heather E. Wilson, and on today's episode, I welcome Jess Morton. She's the general manager of the Toronto Institute of Bartending, and she works full-time running the school, assisting with Spirit House Operations, which is the school's training bar, as well as an instructor, bartender, and freelance mixologist. Today, we're going to chat about her gin inspired journey, the different styles of gin, her favorite gin picks and cocktails. And of course, we share our own cocktails and there could be a incident story or two. Welcome,
1: Jess. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Love it.
0: Yes, you're very welcome. Okay, so first with all episodes, we're going to start by sharing what we are drinking. And Jess, since you are my guest, you get to go first. What are you drinking today?
1: Awesome. So I am actually drinking something from Willowball Distillery. It's called gingerbread gin. I found this in the Ontario liquor store recently. And I thought I would love to try it because we actually work with Willibald. They're part of our retail program at Spirit House. So I know they do good stuff. I've tried their things before. And so I use that to make a gin old fashioned with all the traditional ingredients, except instead of whiskey, we're using this gingerbread gin, which tastes really nice. I oh, recommend.
0: Tastes like Christmas. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, today I'm having a cocktail that Jess actually sent me the recipe for, which is awesome. Thank you so much. It's a stone fruit sour. And so it's gin, lemon juice, egg white, and a couple of spoons of peach jam, which I prefer, but you could also have apricot jam. And I'm actually using gin from Nova Scotia, which is called stone fruit gin. And it is a kind of a little fun story that every time there's a hurricane here, well, maybe not every time, but some of the major hurricanes, such as Dorian and then more recently, Fiona, a lot of the fruit falls from the trees and you can't. Sell it per se, but they take it and they make a super yummy gin out of it. So I don't know if that one's available in Ontario, maybe not, but it's definitely in the Maritimes and it's limited edition too. Only you know one hurricane, (laughs) hopefully a year, but yeah. Okay, so let's chat about you. Awesome, yeah. Like, did you like always love gin and spirits? Like, did you grow up with it? That kind of thing.
1: So I didn't really grow up around a lot of alcohol. My parents were a little abstaining just to try and be more responsible parents, which good on them. But of course, I went to college just like everybody else (laughs) and discovered the drinking culture in college and learned a little bit about spirits. Yeah, it's just like a really great time. And of course, later on, After college, I was looking for work in a new industry and someone was like, you like cocktails, you like spirits, you should go and look into bartending. And then fast forward seven years later, now I am the general manager of a bar school, which is pretty insane when you think about it.
0: (laughs) Wow. So you didn't originally go to school for bartending then?
1: No, I do have a bartending certificate, but I did that a little bit later on. I haven't gone to school for hospitality management or anything like that. I don't have any traditional college education in that area. I'm not unusual in that sense either, but it's cool to say that.
0: That is amazingly cool. So you kind of glossed over pretty fast, but how did you (laughs) go from college to suddenly being, I'm sure it wasn't sudden because it took years, to be GM of a bartending school?
1: So in 2016, I took my bartending certificate. Just coincidentally, I was at the time traveling out to San Francisco and I heard about this bartending school that was based out of San Francisco that still exists. They're called the Cocktail Camp and I would highly recommend them. The people who run that place are very smart. And a lot of the stuff that I like to talk about in the school, I also base on the things that I've learned there. So I took that course. I was already kind of working hospitality, doing catering stuff. And then I said I wanted to learn more. So I took that bartending certificate. Now I have that to say I know those things. And then I just very gradually worked my way up the ladder in hospitality. I've worked in so many different types of venues. I've worked in fine dining. I've worked in dive bars. I've worked in catering. I worked in an absinthe bar wow. once, which was a very unique experience. And I've learned a lot about spirits from that side of things as well. And then where was I? So I was working at a place called Storm Crow Manor, which is a bar in Toronto that is sort of based off of like nerd culture, a lot of Game of Thrones, Star Wars, Star Trek, so everything fantasy and science fiction. So I worked there as a bartender for about the first six, seven months they were open. And then coincidentally, someone that I worked with there knew someone who also worked at Toronto Institute of Bartending. And during that time, I was looking for more part-time work, and I submitted my resume to them, and one of the people I worked with at Stormcrow was like, oh yeah, my roommate is like the manager there, and I was like, no way, so... Thankfully, he was very nice to put in a good word. That was not the only reason I got in. But Mm -hmm. eventually, I got hired as a part time bartending instructor and I worked my way up the ladder. And then COVID happened Mm -hmm. and I was the last employee standing at the company. Everyone else had other things going on, so they couldn't still be with TIB, unfortunately. So I was like, I'm here. Why not? Let's see what happens. So, working basically took over the whole school kind of indirectly from that. I was originally going to be promoted to be like the manager of the school originally before the pandemic happened but then it was like doubling down like okay you're the one left let's get this happening so yeah I made it work and we are still here like two plus years out of the pandemic or in and out of the pandemic <laughs> yeah we don't are crazy. we out who knows are we out? <laughs> I don't know anymore so <laughs> it's been a wild ride so in the middle of that on top of me managing a business by myself, which was an adventure on its own. We also, so we are located in the Toronto Historic Distillery District, which is a historical site that was the original Guterham and Warts distillery from like 1850. Cool. So it has since been, yeah, I know, pretty crazy. So it since has been preserved as a historical site. And that is where we operate out of. So property management. We had already been renting an office space from them in the same building. And they approached us and said, hey, we have this space opening up that's basically a bar. Would you folks be interested in taking over? Very generous of them to say that to us, because on the flip side of that, the people who own the Toronto Institute of Bartending also used to own a different bar called Spirit House which we have since reimagined as Spirit House Toronto in this new venue. So we opened up in August 2021, I believe it was, and we have been riding the wave ever since, continuing to develop our program inside of Spirit House Toronto, bringing back all of the wonderful mixology S cocktails that we had in our original location. So it's been a wild and long ride and we're still here. So I'm <laughs> well, glad to say that we're beautiful. still here. And that's- yeah.
0: Well, I can imagine having a cocktail bar of your own, like for the school, would be the absolute perfect training ground for, you know, bartenders in training. I mean, what better experience could you get, really?
1: Oh, it's really great to be able to show people. We don't like obviously the class isn't going on while bar operations are no, no, no. going on. But I'm able to take the students out into the actual bar and say, this is what it looks like. This is what the rail looks like. This was what could be in your place or a little bit different. This is what's typical. Just giving them like the visual and hands-on is really helpful in this type of facility slash venue. And we're very lucky to have it.
0: Cool. So now that we're slightly out of the pandemic, let's (laughs) see somewhere, I'm sure your day is quite different than during the pandemic. So we'll just not even worry about what happened during the pandemic because that was for everybody, but like (laughs) an average day, like, are you instructing too, or are you like GM has a lot of tasks to do? So how do you do both? How are you like balancing that?
1: I... Don't sleep a lot is the (laughs) short answer. But yeah, I am the full-time instructor on top of the general manager at the moment. That's going to change in the new year. We're hoping to hire at least one part-time instructor because we have lots and lots of plans for the new year. So I want to be able to (laughs) shove some of that responsibility onto someone else so I can focus on some managing stuff. But daily operations for me are I get up, I do my morning routine, I go to work. And my first task is obviously just checking out making sure everything is where it is supposed to be. So just to reaffirm some facts, I am the general manager of the bar school. And then I work directly with the other general manager of the bar. So Mm. we're working side by side. So he works later in the day. And because I am opening the venue, I'm also like opening manager. So one of my tasks is checking everything, making sure everything was put back where it was supposed to so that it is acceptable to let people inside the door. And I'm a little finicky about that being (laughs) like, was this where it was before, just to make sure everything is organized properly. And then I set up the classroom for the day, turn on the lights, the music, make sure everything's good. And welcome students in at the beginning of the day for 930 in the morning is when we start our class. And then we take a lunch break around noon every day. And then we wrap up by 3pm. I get everyone out the door. And then I shut everything down for the day. If it's a Thursday, a Friday, a Saturday, a Sunday, Depending on how busy it is, we'll reset the whole room so you won't be able to see it because it's not set up yet. Hmm. But normally we have like specialty tables we set up for the bar school students to operate at. So we have hands-on instruction as part of the course. And that's really big for us to make sure that you have that because otherwise what's oh. the point? It's like, yeah. oh yeah, there's a jigger, but do you know how to use it? <laughs> yeah, kind <of> thing. exactly. <laughs> so yeah. it's a huge focus on that. I'll shut everything down, everyone out and then I just work on administrative work for the rest of the day, answering emails, phone calls, making sure everyone who has questions about bar school has their questions answered, work on enrollments, and then hopefully out the door by 6 p.m. to go home and then go to bed and do it all over again the next day. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty long day.
0: <laughs> that is. It helps that you are passionate about the topic.
1: Yes, Absolutely. I talk too much in class, probably. (laughs)
0: Uh, I don't think so. but (laughs) That's awesome. And I think that helps people a lot because, I mean, there are people who listen who are thinking about either, you know, becoming mixologists, working in a bar, all that kind of stuff. So it's nice to know that there are actually legit (laughs) schools out there. That aren't just these hokey little programs that, you know, don't truly set you up for, you know, what you need to have a true career in the field.
1: Oh, definitely. There's a lot of questions from people about stuff like that. I get calls from people all the time being like, are you for real? And my response is, well, like there's no official accreditation for what makes you a bar school. We're technically a vocational school that doesn't make us unique in that way. But I would say that we are offering training that no other school that I've seen in Ontario, I can't speak Mm -hmm. to the rest of the country, but I know in Ontario, we are offering the most comprehensive program. Because we focus on not just knowledge of product. What I say to students in class all the time is we're telling you to know what you are selling so that you can sell more, which is a huge emphasis on it. Because maybe I just have a specific point of view, but a place like Toronto... It's all about selling more drinks, getting those bills higher so you can make that 18% on the bill and make it worth it for you. Because that's a huge motivational factor for a lot of people who want to get into this industry. Of course, you're interested in spirits. Maybe you really like whiskey, maybe you have a favorite cocktail. But for a lot of people, it's like, I need some sort of income that's a little bit reliable. And that's what I've heard from a lot of people who are coming to us because a lot of people who are coming to us who are newcomers to the industry in itself, which is really exciting to be a part of.
0: Yeah okay so let's switch gears and talk about gin which is why yes. we're here and I know and you know <laughs> that there are many different styles of gin and it's not just you know like back in the day and you're a lot younger than I am but a long <laughs> time ago there used to be basic you're just your basic London dry and you'd be lucky if you had you know two different gins to choose from but now there's all sorts of styles and so maybe you could list out and explain to our listeners what the main styles are we don't have to go because there's a lot of spin-offs but oh yes like let's just talk the main ones
1: so I am waiting for a webpage to load. I was just going to pull up the World Gin Awards, which is where mm-hmm. I do a lot of my references because I am actually currently working on restructuring the course material to make it more relevant for 2023, I guess, at this point. And there's a lot of really interesting just sort of agreements disagreements on what makes a gin a gin and at the end of the day what we teach and i'm sure a lot of people agree is that gin is gin if it has juniper in it that is really the only rule as to what constitutes a gin and we probably know some of our more common styles everyone knows london dry gin which fun fact does not have to be made in england <laughs> yes. to be qualified something that's really interesting to discuss with people because of course Some of the best known brands of that style do originate from the UK. You know, you got Tanqueray, you got Beefeater, you got Bombay Sapphire, Gordons. Those are some really big ones. But when we think about it, that's just one version. There's a bunch of other styles that are really nice. One of my favorites that's very new to the industry as of late is the barrel age gin, Mm -hmm. which is, in my opinion, just two of my favorite spirits coming together, gin and whiskey. And the botanical part of it is still very important. So you got barrel-aged gin, which can be done in so many different ways because there's no restrictions on the type of barrel, meaning you can use any barrel you want, lots of room to be creative there. There's also old tom gin, which is more of an older style, but is starting to come back into style, I've noticed as of late. And traditionally, Old Tom Gin is categorized as something that has a little bit of sugar added to it. The original gin used for the popular Tom Collins cocktail, which is interesting because if you go to a bar and you ask for a Tom Collins, they're going to use London Dry because that's what they have in the rail, unless you tell them. (laughs) And not all bars carry Old Tom Gin, but I'm sure there's lots of smaller distilleries that are working on their own versions of that that will help Mm -hmm. rectify that gap in the market. So there's those two. There is also something that we often refer to as new Western dry gin. Mm. The way we define that here at Bar School is a gin that has less emphasis on the juniper. The juniper is still present, but we have more emphasis on other botanicals. And that's where you get a lot of offshoots is from something that's referred to as a new Western dry category. A good example that I would like to put out there would be Hendrick's gin, which yeah. still you can taste the juniper for sure, but there's a lot more emphasis put on the cucumber and rose. Yes. Cucumber in particular is like all of Hendrick's branding, which I love, right? Yeah. Those are a couple that I really like to talk about. and I'm sure there's more, but those are some of the main ones. And yeah. there's a lot of offshoots in between that. It gets really exciting thinking about that. And also Navy Strength gin, which a lot of places aren't making, but I love that style. I know it's like super strong. I think it's like Navy strength has to be like at least fifty-seven percent. I'm just gonna do a quick Google to confirm my words here. Yeah, fifty-seven percent wow. minimum is what qualifies as a navy strength gym. A lot of places, strong. right? Oh, yeah. A lot of places don't make it, but that doesn't mean it can't be good. I think a lot of us are scared by what is often referred to as overproof spirits. We're probably thinking of a 151 would probably be everyone's favorite <laughs> pop culture example of an overproof spirit. But, you know, there's a time and a place. And as long as it's not overwhelming and you know the guests can handle it, there's no reason why you can't showcase that spirit as it is as well. So, which I know originates from the UK as well. When you think of Navy strength yes. and they make a lot more of it in that part of the world. Than they do here,
0: right? But yeah, yeah, cool, yeah, wow, thanks. Yeah, I actually, it's been a while since I looked up Navy strength, so I <laughs> thought it was like 50 percent, so that's good because I have. Obviously, quite a few different gins in my house, and some are what I consider quite strong, like 47, 48, 49%. And Mm -hmm. I find those pretty strong too. So, whoa, I don't know if I've actually ever had a full on Navy strength. Wow,
1: I'm gonna have to add that to my roster. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, it's not that there isn't gin that's stronger that could be marketed as Navy strength style, but it Mm -hmm. doesn't technically qualify if you were gonna submit it to competitions or what have you. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay.
0: Cool. Okay. So then what do you think about today's gin market then? Because it's very different
1: than
0: even 20 years ago, right? And 10 years, like it's moving so fast. Unbelievable, the selection that's out there nowadays. Not all the good, but.
1: Oh, that's true. (laughs) So I find, I think one way to put it is the new craft distilling revolution where all these smaller distilleries are popping up and realizing that they can make their own spirits and be as creative as they want with them. And I think at the center of that is gin because the turnaround time on making a gin is so much less than making a whiskey, which is what a lot of Canadian distilleries want to be making because Canadian distilleries assume that whiskey is the Canadian spirit. I'm not disagreeing with that. But seeing what we have come up with across the country, I would say gin is one of the Canadian spirits that we do very well here as well. So lots of smaller places popping up making their own versions of a new Western dry or a London dry or their own Navy strength gin or whatever that looks like. And that's just because In Canada, the minimum requirement for aging a whiskey is three years. And if you are a business like a distillery that requires a lot of money and time and other things in terms of investment just to get it open you know you want to get some profit on the books as soon as possible and gin is one of the ways to do that and to stand out on the flip side of that though there is a bit of oversaturation of the market there's so many gins now that it can be overwhelming to regular people who only know bombay or who only know gordons and they're just like i don't know what this means so that's where it gets a little interesting, and I think it's very exciting to see where it's going to go from here in terms of gin in Canada in particular.
0: I agree. I mean, just since the pandemic even, like the number of new gins in the last three years in Canada in particular has been an explosion. It's like everybody decided to make a distillery during the pandemic or something.
1: <laughs> There's so oh no. <laughs> it's a good idea. Distilleries are pandemic proof. We have since learned. That yes. You can still sell.
0: <laughs> so that's
1: where it gets really fun, I think.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I would love to hear your current, because I know it changes all the time, <laughs> myself included, your current favorite gins, maybe like three, if you have
1: any. Oh, that's going to be a hard one, but I will figure it out. So Mm -hmm. definitely my standby gin, if I'm going to a bar and I want a gin and tonic and I'm going to be specific, is always going to be Tanqueray in terms of if I have to grab a London dry gin that I know everybody has, it's always going to be Tanqueray, Tanqueray and tonic. But I also really love N'gava gin and it's partly because I sample it during my course pretty often. (laughs) So I always (laughs) sample a London dry gin and a new Western dry gin. Mm -hmm. And I find Ungava. So if you're not familiar with Ungava gin, you may have seen it on the shelf where you are. It's very bright yellow in appearance. And it's really beautiful. The cool thing about this gin is that it's not super aggressive on the juniper and all of the botanicals are foraged from Northern Quebec where it is made. So it has a very unique botanical list and almost like you're tasting what the botanical expression of that part of the country is. So I find that's really fun. So I have one more that I really like. So I have a gin in my personal collection. There's like just the littlest bit left in the bottle. So years and years and years ago, before I was doing this job, I traveled very briefly to Hong Kong for about 10 days. And one of the cool things about that place is that the liquor laws are very, very different. Mm. So you can drink in the street, buy beer from 7-Eleven at three in the morning. Everybody's cool. They have a very amazing spirits and cocktail scene in that part of the world as well, if anybody is going out there to visit. And I went to a liquor store for the sake of the experience to say I've been to a liquor store in this part of the country. And I bought a gin from Scotland and I brought it home with me. So that particular gin is called St. Andrew's Gin That Is Hopped. So, it has some hops in it and it tastes very citrusy and light, and it's not too heavy on the juniper. So, that one is sort of, you know, if I get proposed to, I'll open it again kind of thing, (laughs) just for a special occasion. (laughs) Because there's only so much left and you can't get it here. I'd have to go back to the UK or go back to somewhere else where, because that particular gin is super unique to that part of the world. So, it's really fun. Cool. Yeah. And
0: that's what I find pretty much every craft gin that's out there now. What makes it unique is that they are foraging locally, right? For whatever botanicals they're using. And so you're never going to find two the same, you know, even if they have the same ingredients, they have different quantities and it depends on the time of year and the time of day and who forged it and whatever. So they all have the commonality of the juniper, but the botanicals are always different. It's amazing. And also depending what you mix it with completely changes the taste of it, right? So you can have some really good ones. (laughs) You can have a really good gin and mix it with a terrible mix and ruin it. Right. Yeah. Or the opposite. You could have an okay gin, but mix it epically and elevate it.
1: Yeah. I hear that for sure. I would say another really good example of like, if we're talking about botanicals is the botanist gin, Ugh. which is so good. And the whole concept of their gin is that the botanicals only come from one place, which is Isla, one of the most beautiful places in the world, would recommend visiting yeah. if you have never been there. And that's another reason to be like, oh, yeah, we're a gin from Scotland. It's not like there isn't a bazillion gins from Scotland, but do they have botanicals from this place, right? Right. That's yeah. where they draw you in.
0: Yeah, Then they have the story of, oh, they hang over a cliff to get this special moss, <laughs> you know, just for the gin. So, yeah, that's one reason why even I have this podcast is to hear the stories, right? And from everyone, from the distilleries, from people such as yourself, gin experts, and there's always a story behind everything. And yes, gin in particular, I find, has very unique stories because everything about it is unique. Oh,
1: yes. And I love it. There's even no specification on what you can make it from. Like I've had gins from Quebec that are made from grapes, that technically they're grape based spirit. And it's just so much versatility in this specific category of what we do. So it's really yeah. amazing to see.
0: Yeah. And just the creativity that is now just blossoming out there is pretty amazing. Now, On the other hand, there's also some really weird ones. I forget what they're called, but they have like a name. But you know the ones like they put sparkles in it or marshmallows or like weird stuff? That to me is just like, no. (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Like unicorn gin or something like that. And they weird silly things in. That's not gin.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that's where it's like they're using a gin-based spirit, but really they're making like a very sugary liqueur. Yeah, And I think it's helpful to make a distinction between the spirit and the liqueur, even though they're both made from the spirit, that they are not the same and they should not be used the same in cocktails. No, not at all. Okay,
0: cool. All right. So we are now at the time where it's the ginsidence story time. Do you have a ginsidence story that you can share with us?
1: Yeah, I have a short one. So it was a few years ago. So I've been in the scene long enough that I remember when Dylan's distillery first came onto mm-hmm. the LCBO shelves. And I do remember the first time I saw a bottle of NgaVa gin. And I was very, very skeptical the first time I saw it because I was put off by the color, if you will, Mm -hmm. which is something that I love to tell students about when they come in, because my favorite joke to make is, I know it looks like pee, but it's really, really good. (laughs) Right? And another thing that I love to tell them about is, why do they keep the color? That's the question we ask ourselves when we Mm -hmm. see it on the shelf. So the first time I saw it, I was like, No, thank you. That is weird. Another time. And then I frequented the same LCDO location for a little while, and the staff recognize me because I'm there too often at the liquor store. And the guy was like, I noticed you buy a lot of gin. Have you tried this one? And he was talking about Ngava. And I was like, no, I haven't. Like, I didn't want to say anything. And he's like, it's really good. And I was still skeptical. I'm like, really good. He's like, yes, it's very good. You could have it on its own. You don't even need tonic water. And I was like, okay, it's not that expensive. And then I tried it and it was really good. He was correct. Always listen to the staff in the store. They know what they're talking about. Right. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And cool. yeah.
1: So, and then I was like, oh, I can have gin with just soda water and it can be really good. So completely changed my perspective on what that spirit could do, which was really great for me.
0: Hmm. And then made me expanded your horizons in other gins too.
1: Absolutely. Made me more open-minded as to what else could be out there. That's for sure. Well, that's great. Well, that's a
0: perfect incident story. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Cool. All right. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about anything about the school or what you do or anything? Oh, sure
1: just want to like briefly go over what we do here at TIB just so that if anyone is listening and they are within the GTA, if they're interested in enrolling, just getting an idea of what they signed up for. For So we're a bar training school. We are recommended by a number of companies, including MLSE, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment have named us specifically as recommendations for their employees or future employees who want to get certified by us. Now, I would tell anyone who Is going to ask me if they call me up on the phone that no, it is not required to get a BART certificate to work in this industry, but it is highly recommended by a lot of places. More and more employers want. This certification for their employees just to ensure that you have some idea what you're doing behind the bar. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be an expert when you leave here, but my goal is that you are going to leave here fully prepared to step behind the bar for the first time if you haven't already, and to at least be interested in learning more and getting better at what you want to do behind the bar, whatever that looks like, because it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. So we have a huge focus on product knowledge or spirit knowledge, knowing what you're selling behind the bar. Don't be afraid to be curious about what you have on the bar. Learn more about those products so that you can share that knowledge with your guests. We have a huge focus on guest experiences, how to deliver good guest experiences while you are behind the bar. And of course, a huge focus on practical training, which is what people are usually looking for. They're looking for that hands-on training. So we have bar tools for everyone to use. In the near future, we are going to be putting together a retail program where you can come to our school and buy a full bartending kit where you have all the tools you would need to get started at home without any unnecessary stuff thrown in, just the tools that you need to get started so that you can practice at home if you want, or at least continue to build your skills after you've left us, whatever that looks like for you. So that's a huge part of what we do here. And yeah, I do a huge focus on mixology as part of what we do here because it does say on the certificate introduction to bartending and mixology. So based on my own knowledge, I bring that up throughout the course pretty frequently, just so that students feel like they're getting the full experience. Right. Cool. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you for listening to my sales pitch. (laughs) (laughs) No worries at all.
0: (laughs) I could have been a bartender in a younger life.
1: (laughs) You still can. Just smaller increments. Only do events. That's the trick. Oh, is that (laughs) the secret? yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> all right. Well, I'll have to think about that one. <laughs> all right. And there you have it. Everything you ever want to know about Jess, her gin gin journey to becoming the GM of the Toronto Institute of Bartending, differences between gin styles, some yummy gins, all sorts of information about the Toronto Institute of Bartending, and so much more. Thank you so much, Jess, for being here today and sharing your passion for gin.
1: Thank you so much for
0: having me. It was great. Yeah. And thank you for listening. Be sure to leave us a review and check out the show notes for links to Jess and the Toronto Institute of Bartending and the ginshop.ca for all your gin, clothing, and novelty needs. Until next time, remember, you're the gin to my tonic. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gin brought to you by TheGinShop.ca. If we've Gin you, let us know by leaving us a comment and a review or drop us a note at heather at TheGinShop.ca. We may even read your email or feature your Gin Spirational story in an upcoming episode. And remember to follow us on social media. Until next time, let the party
1: be Gin.